Welcome to C-Suite Radio. It's time for another edition of The Brett Allen Show. It's go time, you and me! Join us weekly for the latest pop culture interviews from your favorite TV shows, movies, comedians, and so much more. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, it felt good. Plus, you never know who will drop by. What happened here was a miracle. Now, here is your host. I said throw down, boy. Welcome to the night's main event. Brett Allen. In the house today on the show. Well, first, everybody, thanks for um, watching and listening and supporting the show. We have one of my favorite comedians. I'm excited. He has a brand new special uh, do-over that just uh, dropped a few days ago on YouTube. And then he has a dry bar special. And, of course, the Comedy Central days, we have to reminisce about that. Uh, because that's where I first became familiar with you. Uh, you're laughing, but thanks for hanging out, Josh. I appreciate your time. No, it's ha- I'm I'm super happy to be here. It's very kind of you to say. So thank you. Yeah, hundred percent. So as I mentioned, Comedy Central, back in those days before Netflix was a thing and all this other stuff, that's where I became familiar with you. You had a lot of great bits, and then you put out a couple albums, and you've been touring. But you have this new special where it's connected with 800-pound gorilla, right? But we've had a lot of their comics on the show. So essentially, if, please correct me if I'm wrong. The concept was you had talked to them, and then you're putting to another some new material, but also some of the greatest hits. Yeah, so... Um... 800 pound gorilla, as you mentioned, like they're, they're putting out some really great content with some of the best comedians working. And so, uh, to have a chance to work with them is something that I was very excited to do. And so what we decided to do was it's called do over. Cause that's in essence what it is. It's a do over of a lot of old material. So it's material from my comedy central presents. And then my first album, which was on comedy central records. And then my second album, uh, unsung hero, uh, which was on comedy dynamics and then my dry bar special. So it's, it's a mix of material from all those things re recorded kind of updated into one hour long set. That's, you know, I feel like it's pretty evergreen other than maybe the COVID joke at the very beginning. But in terms of like stuff that I've done in the past, like it's stuff that really doesn't have a shelf life in terms of, of my life, you know, like it's right. kind of still relevant in, in, in my personality or, you know, my relationship with my wife or my kids. And so it was kind of fun to like revisit some of that old stuff as an introduction to 800 pound gorillas audience. So that, when I record my next project, which will be all new material that's never been, you know, on any special or album, they'll kind of hopefully know who I am by then. And uh, you know, hopefully it'll be as well received as this one is of the old material. I mean, I've been super excited with how it's done in the first week. Yeah. I mean, for anybody that's a comedian to have, material come out is a big deal i think in a badge of honor but 800 pound gorilla those guys are great i'm here in the colorado denver fort collins area 
and they come to the fort here in Fort Collins quite a lot. They just had an album recording a couple of weeks ago, and then they have another one that they're doing here in a few weeks. So I think that's really cool for you to be able to work with those guys. I mean, you've been in the game for a long time. You mentioned in the specials, you talk about the fact that you were at home <laughs> for so long, and then you were like the antithesis of everybody else. You're like, I want to get out of the house and yes. get on the road again. So did you do any of that Zoom stuff? I know a lot of people did, and there was a split, whether people liked it or didn't like it or I, how well I did or not unwell personally. it was. Okay. No, I didn't do any just because, um, you know, I, like... I think every comic plays to their strengths. And I think one of my strengths is like timing and like reading an audience yeah. so that if I have a tagline or knowing when to end a joke or begin the next one, it's all, it's all just sort of like a vibe that I have in the room in that moment of like when to drop the next line or, you know, how long to let a laugh play out. That's not too long. And, you know, and so I just never felt like I was going to be able to replicate that, um, over, over zoom, you know? And so, uh, I was also very fortunate, you know, that I have an apparel company that I started with a yeah. buddy of mine in 2005. And, um, I do social media for a couple of national brands, like completely anonymous. Nobody knows it's me when they're talking to these brands, but those two things, um, never really put me in a position where I felt like I had to take whatever comedy work would come my way during okay, the pandemic. That's cool. Yeah. And so if it meant that other people got to do it because I didn't, or just, I didn't have to, because I had these other sources of income, like all those things kind of played in a factor of why I was like, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm going to wait this out. Hopefully it won't be too long. That's funny. I talked to Steve Hofstetter and Ben Glebe and those guys did the virtual comedy club. I don't know. Yeah. I think he bought like a church somewhere and had all these people coming through, built yeah. a floating stage. Ben did in his basement. And, and I think they're still doing it. I'm not sure they because are. I think at that time we all just thought we would never leave our house. I will say <laughs> I bought a ticket to a Louis Anderson Zoom show, which was amazing because he died like shortly after. So I would probably not have seen him anywhere else, but it was kind of interesting. I was able to watch a few shows. Uh, the Who's Line guys did a few things and it was interesting times, but you're out now. We're touring and you've got the special. As I mentioned at the beginning, I became familiar with you during the Comedy Central days and I've heard a lot of comics talk about it lately as to like what happened to it or did they compete when you were at that part of your career and you're doing these specials, you, you won a couple contests, you're on their label. Would you have ever imagined that they would have gone away? Like that was like the place to go for every comedian. I don't mean that as a, as a dig, but I'm very curious because a few people I've had recently, I've asked them that question and they've had different opinions about what did or didn't happen to the network as far as that goes? I don't, you know, I think there's some irony in that the same thing had just happened to MTV, who was yeah. the, you know, owned by Viacom, just like Comedy Central was. That's like, 
all of a sudden MTV music television doesn't have music anymore in the way that <laughs> Comedy Central doesn't seem to have like stand up comedy specifically anymore. No. Um, you know, I just feel like in anything you have to stay ahead of the curve or, and or adapt with the times. And, um, you know, I think that they, they were passed in a lot of ways by, you know, the streaming platforms or just, you know, when you're the only place people can get comedy for so long and then like that, you can get it anywhere, you know, um, it's kind of like what radio has been going through for a long time of like, why are you listening to a local radio station hoping your favorite song is going to come on when you could just play your favorite song on a loop, you know, your iPhone. So, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. And so, you know, I just feel like certain companies like Netflix, uh, Amazon, YouTube, even were seeing, you know, the, the migration from, watching television in real time as it happened to on-demand programming on your phone whenever you want it. And the people who shifted to that model quickly are the ones that are kind of the, you know, have the biggest audiences for, for standup. Yeah. That's very insightful. It was interesting. I just, I like to hear different comedians opinions on that specifically ones that were like a, you know, shelf piece for that network for years, like premium blend, just so mm -hmm. many different things, but you've had a robust career outside of what happened to them in your own way. You've had success by touring and the specials. I want to ask you when you are deciding that you're going to do this and take greatest hits from different parts of your life, how do you even decide where to start? Because you have a lot of great material. Like do you, you sitting down, are you running bits with your wife or are you just kind of in a corner somewhere and trying to figure out how you're going to do it? Or does 800 pound gorilla have input to you as well and say, these are ones that we think would do well on the network. When we first started talking about it, I kind of had, I was kind of what you just said, like, who do I bounce this off of? Like, how could I, you know, how do I pick? But as I went back and kind of listened to some of the older stuff, there were just certain bits that I felt really resonated with me still to this day, or that were some of my favorites to perform, you know, that I might've kept in the act longer than some of the other stuff. Um, you know, like I'm not, I'm, I'm, there's material on my comedy central album that I wouldn't do today that, you know, I wasn't, real proud of. I think a lot of comics go through that in some facet, whether it's like makes you cringe that you ever said it or just like <laughs> yeah. you took the easy way out on a punchline or, you know what okay. I mean? And, um, I don't know if I've just gotten soft because I have kids and, you know, things that I used to find were funny back in the day. They don't make me laugh anymore. I just want to challenge myself more to try to find a, a, a less obvious punchline. But I just kind of picked the stuff that either I thought at that time when it came out was the bit or bits from that piece that people mentioned the most in that moment of like, oh, I saw your Comedy Central special and I really like this, you know, and it would always be like 
the story about farting on Jessica Simpson. Oh yeah, or, that's the classic you know, bit for sure. <laughs> yeah, which is I think you know, that's one course. of the first things I heard from you was that when your album came out, or maybe it was on one of those. Yeah, that's a great bit for sure. Yeah, so there nobody could tell that parts. story. I mean, that's like a one in a lifetime thing. <laughs> Yeah, my mom's real proud that that's why people, some people know me. That's it's funny. funny that you kind of do these things in the in that moment of your life, and you're curious to see what will resonate or will stand the test of time. If that isn't too, you know, hyperbolic, but when I was at this Star Wars, can I? I'm a huge Star Wars nerd. If you can't tell, by I can everything. tell. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I went to this event in Anaheim at the at the convention center. It was like Comic Con, but just for Star Wars, called Star Wars Celebration. Oh yeah, and that's I mean, a big there's deal. like there's like fifty thousand people like walking around this thing. Like it is elbows to elbows, and a lot of them are dressed as characters, and I'm just dressed like this: a hat, you know, a, probably a hoodie or a t shirt, just walking around looking at vendors. And someone taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and he just goes did you fart on Jessica Simpson? And I was just like, yeah. And he goes, I knew that was you. And he, and he basically just said that, you know, he listens to comedy at his desk at work on, you know, Pandora or Spotify or something. And when a track is playing, it shows the album cover of that track. And that album unacceptable is like just my face. And he's like, I've seen your face like a million times sitting at my desk, just listening to comedy and and I would just could not believe that of all the things I've ever said or done in my life that I would get recognized in a crowd that big for that story. Yeah, it's a really iconic story. And again, just lends itself to your talent and ability as a comedian to be able to tell a story. When you're working new material, are you a go to the club with a notepad guy or how does your process work as far as working out new materials specifically for this new project that you're working on next year. That's coming out at some time for, for a, a myriad of reasons, you know, whether it's, um, you know, getting married and having kids and, you know, my, my dad passed away and it just sort of gave me like a, this sort of like mortality kind of thing of, you know, I, I want to be around for like the most important years of my kids. And I really yeah. cut back on, on touring and, and then the t-shirt company and the social media stuff, you know, like all those things combined, like, like really kept my attention away from just cranking out new material. Right. And I also don't feel like I'm prolific in the way that some of the people that I enjoy watching the most are the Nate Bargatze's and the Bill Burr and the, you know, Tom Segura and Jim Gaffigan, like, like the people who can just crank out hours you know, not saying that there's not effort on their part, but they just present it in such a way and with such frequency that you're just like, I can't even wrap my head around it, even as somebody who's been doing comedy as long as I have. And so I've always been sort of, um, I do, I write, I, I work out new material as it comes to me instead of I'm, I'm getting rid of this hour and I'm going to write a new hour. It's like, Oh, I have a new five minutes. So I'm going to take out an old five minutes. And then after okay. I do that, you know, 12 times, now I have a new 60 minutes and I'm ready to record something. So whether that's over the course of, you know, five years or three years or however long it is between projects, I feel like it's a lot more organic and it doesn't feel as 
manufactured for, for me and my style. You know, uh, a lot of people, when they come out to me after the shows, the one thing they'll say is like, man, it was like, you're just up there talking, you know? And, and the reason I think that they think that is because my style is very laid back and, and almost, even though it's one-sided, it's still kind of conversational, you know, and I like to tell stories, you know, I, I like to have like longer form kind of comedy than a bunch of like rapid fire, quick bits. And so when it comes time to try out new material, I'll often just do it when I'm on the road in the middle of like a 50 to an hour okay. set because I can kind of slide them in there. And I like to, instead of just going, Oh, here's a new joke. Like I want to figure out, well, where is this, does this joke go in my act as it stands right now? How do I get into it? And then how do I get back out of it? You know, with material that I'm already doing. So I, I try to pay as much attention to the segues in and out of new material, but then I also just work it out on stage in that I don't sit down and write it all out beforehand, because I think when I do that specifically, I lose that sort of conversational, um, you know, style and it becomes very like rehearsed and memorized versus if I just kind of have an idea of what I want the joke to be, or where the punchline is. And I force myself to talk through it in real time on stage. I end up talking the way that I would talk off stage. And it feels more organic in that regard. If that's not too, you know, dramatic. No. Well, I feel like this conversation we're having now, like you're comfortable, you're relaxed, you're settled in. Same as if I saw you on stage somewhere, like it would just be the same thing. It's not like, on stage and off stage, Josh is different, except maybe a little bit more elevated when you're performing. <laughs> you know That's what I mean? Accurate. Like That's absolutely like accurate. there's obviously like when I had Mark Norman on during the pandemic, he's one that on stage, off stage, he's still the same. Like he was really hard to keep up with in the conversation because I couldn't tell if he was being serious or if I was getting under his skin by the questions I was he's asking, a, he's amazing. I mean, but like he's a great rapid, guy. Yeah. yeah. Same with few others. So yeah, I mean, I feel like this is normal and you don't feel pressured necessarily to like, you know, have to just throw bits out or perform at a certain level. It's interesting because you've, I was going through and looking at the trajectory of your career and your voice and it's in the sense of like, how you tell stories and the pattern things like when you first started getting into the game, was it a conscious decision on what kind of comedian you wanted to be as far as like observational or point of view or conversational, or did you just get up at an open mic and that what you said in that moment and what yeah. came out just defined you immediately because of the response? No, I was all over the place for a long did time. Did you mimic yeah. anybody by any chance or did you well, just I think that I think that if you were if you were to get like super nerdy about it and really watch like the like my newest thing, like do over, which is, you know, like you said, like it spans material from like 25 years of doing stand up. And I feel like if you if you were to really sit down and watch that and I were to tell you who my influences were you would be able to pick up on it while you were watching it. Of Probably. Like, That's what he got from that guy, you know? And so, um, 
the people that I, you know, cause I love all kinds of comedy. I love all kinds of styles, whether it's, you know, impressions or, or, you know, like Henry Phillips doing musical comedy or, um, you know, like people who are loud and, and have like a huge persona on stage, like Titus, I mean, or just the guys who are laid back, like old fashioned joke writers. Um, like a Bill Ingvall. That's just like Bill. Yeah. Bill Ingvall, uh, Ron White. So like, if you look back, if I look back and I think about the people whose style influenced me the most, you know, uh, it's the storytellers, like as weird as it is to say, Bill Cosby and Ron White and these guys who could just paint pictures of like things that whatever degree they actually happen, you, you just sat there and you could picture the whole thing as though you were sitting there watching it in real time. And then, yeah. you know, the, um, the wordplay, like the Stephen Wright and, and Mitch Hedberg, who's my favorite of all time of just like the silliness of, and embracing puns, um, you know, the timing aspect, like, uh, you know, a little before my generation, but they were a big deal to me was the Smothers Brothers. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then like Wendy Liebman and now now like Anthony Jeselnik and like the timing of of just knowing like being comfortable in silence and knowing how to kind of embrace that. If they're being quiet, that means you've got them and you can take them wherever you want them. And I think if you watch my my hour long set, you'll see the storytelling, you'll see the wordplay, you'll see the timing, uh, you'll see the observational stuff from, you know, Seinfeld and Jake Johansson and, and you know, I don't know, there's you, there's so many people that have influenced me, but it was also great. You know, I saw Chappelle last week in Raleigh. I mean, I go see him whenever I can. He's another Mount Rushmore face for me. And it's like, I saw him in the same building that I performed in opening for Larry the Cable Guy. And they both brought out the same number of people to this building. And it just, you know, I still learn from stuff like that to be in there and go, there's as many people that like Chappelle as like Larry, the cable guy. And it's not a lot of crossover, but that just means there's something for everybody out yeah. there. And I think that, that somebody like me, like learning that it makes me feel way more comfortable to just do material. That's true to me instead of stuff that I think other people are going to like, even if it's not my favorite stuff, because if I just stay the course and do stuff, that's, funny to me and and fits my style that eventually over time like the people who share that will come out to see me instead of trying to cater to wherever I'm going to be that week or what I think the people on TikTok or Instagram might like right now. Yeah, there is a boom with TikTok crowd work and a lot of people have a lot of opinions about it and I think it's interesting. A lot of the people if you listen to some of the most recent guests I've had some are like it's you're selling, you know, swampland in Florida. That's like BS because if I go to your show, it's not going to be that. And others are like, hey, if I can use it to engage people and sell tickets for a club, then I'll do it. So it's interesting. The vibe I get from you is that you're just comfortable in your skin with being who you are and where you're at as a comedian. You have your goals, obviously and everything. But outside of that, like there's no industry pressure necessarily because I see some of these. There certainly isn't. 
you're funny. Um, well, in the sense of like, you know, Tom Skura just did this 400 thing tour and now he's out on the road again. He was here recently, did a surprise drop in because his wife was in town at another club. And he's like, I got a brand new hour. Do you guys want to hear it? And it's like, how do you even do that? Like, you know, I can't imagine it had would have to be mentally exhausting to yeah. just feel like yeah. you have to just be like a jukebox, you know, and just crap out, you know, a whole new hour when you're just like letting this one settle. It would drive yeah. me insane. I can't wrap my head around it. And it's the most fascinating, inspiring, like to watch it from the sidelines. Um, but again, it, I think it goes into like, you know, he worked so hard for so long to get to this point and build up this empire that he has that it's like, why wouldn't you just ride the wave for as long as you can? Yeah. Like, of course, like how, you know, same with Bert Kreischer and, and, and Theo Vaughn and those guys. Now it's just, you just watch them and, and you go, yeah, if if you get it to this level, you got to be all in to sustain it or it's going to go away quick. And they've done an amazing job of sustaining it. But, you know, to go back to Chappelle, and I've said this on other podcasts before, like he he changed my life with an interview he did on Inside the Actor Studio. And it was all based around like telling his parents that he wanted to do stand up and they were college professors and they thought it was a phase he was going through. And they said, you know, well, what will you do if if it, you're not successful? Will you give it up? And he said, well, that that did that's up to what your definition of success is, you know? And mm. he said, if, if a teacher makes $40,000 a year and I can make $40,000 a year doing stand up, I'd rather be a comedian than a teacher. And he said that to me at a point, he said that to me, I felt like he was speaking to me. He said that at a point in my life when, um, you know, I'm, I'm in Ohio, I'm, I've just left LA. I've started to get some, um, you know, some opportunities with, with my recordings and, and things of that nature, but I'm also starting a family, you know, and I've got this, you know, budding apparel company that needs some attention too. And I really had to just figure out that like, I was okay with whatever my definition of success was. Cause mm. it was so easy to see my peers, you know, Chad Daniels and Pete Lee and Jamie Lisso and Dan Cummins and Roy Wood Jr. And like all these guys that I had, I had started with and were very good friends of mine, like getting these opportunities that we were all working for, for the longest time. And then when I learned to like genuinely be happy for them and not jealous of them, it was just so freeing because it just kind of made anything above what my life is right now feel like extra. And I never had to feel like I was missing out or I had to move if I wanted something bigger than, than what I had. And that, attitude is like what has kept me so laid back and and you know really grateful for for what i do have and the the fans that i do have and the opportunities i've been given is because i'm not constantly comparing myself to a lot of other people in terms of credits and and whatever level of success is you know alonzo Baden said the same thing he's like you can screw yourself mentally because people come up to him all the time and like, man, if you would have started in the eighties instead of the nineties, you would have caught the comedy boom and you'd be super wealthy, dirty, rich. And he's like, I don't care. 
I started when I was supposed to in 90, whatever, you know, last comic standing. That was another big thing for a long time. But what I've seen to have learned, even if you get those massive industry opportunities or you get a late night set, all the things you've experienced, like that does not necessarily guarantee you a successful career, right? Like at all. You and you can see different people hitting their strides at different times. I mean, I mentioned Ron White, even Bill Ingvall to a degree, uh, and Larry the Cable Guy. Like they were much uh, older than you know Matt Reif or you know some of these people that are blowing up now. Um, but they were polished comedians with a big library of material to pull from. And they were ready for the opportunity when it did come. And that's sort of my attitude now is like, if it doesn't get any better than this, I'm okay with that. And if it does, I'm prepared to accept it because I've kept honing my craft this whole time. For sure. And so if I do get an opportunity, you know, I feel very confident I could take advantage of it. You know, if you look at some of those last comic standing comics, that had just started, like maybe we're even only doing open mic nights. And then now you're thrust into the spotlight and asked to do an hour at a club and you've never even done a club before, you know, it's like, you're not, they're not setting you up for success. You're, you can't help, but not be set up for success. Um, and so I just, you know, I, that's just the attitude that I've tried to keep is like, I'm super happy right now. And if it keeps climbing, then great. I'm ready for it. And if it doesn't, then that's fine too. I love that. That is great. I mean, you have a special that you're working on now. And that's every comedian's dream, I would assume, is to get an hour together or to just be able to get on stage and crush it. I mean, Drybar is now coming to the forefront of a place where a lot of comedians go to do their hour. One last question. I mean, looking at all of this and everything what is the biggest form of validation for you as a comedian? Is it peers? Is it selling out clubs? Is it getting laughs? Like, or do you even feel validated as a comic? I, um, I probably feel more validated now than I had in a long time. Um, because of the success of the dry bar set, um, specifically, you know, I got to work with so many amazing comedians coming up as a middle act. I mean, like literally legends, you know, like Hedberg, Patrice O'Neill, Greg Giraldo, Dave Attell, like some of my all time favorites still to this day, you know, I got to be in the room with them and watch them crush at like what was at that time, the peak of their, you know, uh, stardom. And, and I can't even wrap my head around how big those guys would be if they had been able to be around for this, you know, the social media wave where their content could be so much easily shared. Mm. But, um, but I remember, you know, I would sit there and I'd watch, uh, Mitch is such a great example of like people who would show up because they knew he was going to be there. They would know every word to certain jokes and they would get excited as soon as he'd start the first couple words of it, they would be like, Oh, here comes, you know, the Pringles joker. And you would just, as a young comic, I would sit there and just I would, like, I couldn't even wrap my head around that, you know, a someone would show up because I was there 
you know, and B have any part of my act <laughs> memorized. And now it's happening more and more frequently in small doses. You know, it's not like I'm selling out clubs, but, but I am drawing my audience when I go places and I can't imagine feeling any more validation than, you know, like I was in, I was in Phoenix back in March and the week before that I was in Florida and those two weeks in a row, people came up to me after the show and told me where they had come from to be there. When I was in Florida, people had flown down from Philadelphia to see the show and were flying home the next day. And when I was in Phoenix, a couple had driven from Utah to Phoenix to see the show and we're driving back the next day. And when you hear that, there are, there are not words that properly express like the feeling of joy you get knowing somebody went that far out of their way because that's the closest you were going to be to them to hear, to, to hopefully hear jokes they already had heard before. Like I just, no amount of people, even if that's one person a week, it, will make me feel more validated than I think when that happens. I love it. Well, you got to talk to your booking team or whoever manages that. You got to come out to Colorado, man, and work some of the clubs here. I'm trying, uh, actually. I'm trying to get to a place, uh, I believe it is in Fort Collins. Yeah, the it's, comedy fort. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's a different place. Um, is it the Lyric Theater? Uh, Possibly. Maybe I can tell you if you give me two seconds, I can tell you what yes. it's called and you tell me if you've heard of it and if I should come. But uh, a guy named Hamilton was uh, reaching out to me about uh, coming out there. And of course I can't find it right now, but it's Colorado is on, is on the list of places to, to make uh, notes live is what it's called. Oh yeah. It's a great little spot. Boot barn, boot barn hall. Okay. I know exactly where it is. I know exactly where it is. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, congratulations on all of this. The special is now available to watch on YouTube, do over uh, your dry bar and all your other things. And then if people want to get a hold of some of your other albums or things that you've done, where's the best place to go? Um, Just joshsneed.com or any social media you know, I'm on all of them. So, uh, if you want to see comedy or you like it and you want to know more, go to joshsneed.com and, and then, or look me up on, on social media and find me. And then there's a website called bands in town. Okay. Um, that I know a lot of people follow for, for music and comedy. You can find my profile on there and that will let you know when I'm coming to your town, because that's the problem with social media, right? Is, you post something and 2% of the people that you were hoping would see it, see it. And, and inevitably I'll play Fort Collins. And then the week after I leave, somebody's like, when are you going to come to Fort Collins? <laughs> I know? would probably so be that you... guy commenting on social media <laughs> and then getting, so, getting dragged by somebody. That's funny. Or just Google comedian farts on Jessica Simpson and Josh will literally come up in the first <laughs> Did she ever respond to any of that at all? Just in a random sort of way? I'm curious. I don't know if we have time for an extra story or not, but yeah, go um, ahead. So I was in uh, Dallas doing a show and the club had sent like a, like a car to pick me up at the airport. And the driver was like, so excited when I got in the car, he's like, I couldn't wait to meet you. 
And I said, why? And he goes, I'm a huge fan of stand-up. I love your story about farting on Jessica Simpson. And he was like, and one day I was assigned to pick her up in a limo <laughs> from the airport. And he said, um, he said, I had the CD ready and she got in the car and I started it like a track or two before that story. And he said, as soon as the story started, she just pressed the button that raised like the window <laughs> up the divider between the front seat and the back. And he's like, so I know she's heard it. Um, but what's really funny, and it's funny you bring it up about Googling farting Jessica Simpson is there was like one time back in the day where my website crashed my manager called me and he's like, what's wrong with your website? And I said, what are you talking about? He's like, it's down. And so, um, so I went to go check it and yes, it was down. I called my buddy who runs it. I was like, what's going on? He was like, it looks like there was just like a big spike in traffic and it, it crashed the site. And so come to find out what had happened was, um, Jessica Simpson, who has like a, a line of clothing and other stuff at Macy's was in a meeting at Macy's and sitting off to the side. Cause she, you know, like her business people were at the table handling it and she, she tried to let one slip and uh, it, it was not quiet and everybody knew that it was her that had farted because she was off to the side by herself. And it got to the point where somebody let TMZ know about it and TMZ on their TV show did this story about how Jessica Simpson had farted in a meeting at Macy's. And, um, and I guess enough people heard that story secondhand that they went to Google and typed Jessica Simpson farted where I was already the number one search result <laughs> because of my comedy central special. And so I got all the traffic from that. Love it. <laughs> thanks to her farting in a meeting. I love it. Well, Josh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, my friend. And uh, I look forward to hopefully meeting you next year when you make it out. Thank you for yeah, your time. Man. I appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thanks again for having me, Brett. Thanks for listening and being a part of today's conversation. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider sharing it with a friend. It's absolutely free. A mega proportion. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. And remember, we care.